Welcome to the Days for Girls podcast, a show about breaking barriers for women and girls around the world. I'm your host, Jessica Williams, Chief Communications Officer at Days for Girls International. At Days for Girls, we believe in a world where periods are never a problem. We are on a mission to shatter the stigma and limitations associated with menstruation by increasing access to sustainable period products and menstrual health education for all people with periods. Today's guest is Jasmine Burton. Jasmine is a social inclusion and design specialist with a focus on gender equity, youth engagement, and innovation in the water, sanitation, and hygiene and global health sectors. She is trained in product design and public health and is passionate about social justice and human rights. She has led iterative toilet innovation pilots and research across Sub-Saharan Africa with a design thinking lens as the founder of Wish for Wash, a social impact organization that seeks to bring innovation to sanitation. Thrilled to share this conversation with you. Now let's go on to the show. Jasmine, welcome to the Days for Girls podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. Me too. So I'm going to be fully transparent for all of our listeners. This is our second interview and something <laughs> happened with the original recording. So we're doing this twice. This is how much we love you listeners, <laughs> <laughs> but also how amazing Jasmine was because the first conversation was so magical. And I'm hoping we can recreate that because it was awesome. Jasmine's amazing. I can't wait for you to hear from her today. Jasmine, let's start out with what you do. You describe yourself as a social inclusion and design specialist. And so for those who maybe don't know what that means, can you take us into that? What what is what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great question. Yeah. So I think it can mean a number of things, but for me, being a social inclusion and design specialist really uh, is rooted in the concept of empathy. So I'm trained in product design uh, from Georgia Tech. And as a product designer, we really uh, get a, a robust education around design thinking, human-centered problem solving, uh, particularly as it relates to solving real people's problems uh, that exist, right? And you have to really empathize with different types of users in order to create solutions that truly meet their needs. So for me, uh, being a social inclusion specialist really means kind of meeting different people where they are, different life experience, different different identities, different worldviews, um, and then using my design skill sets product, graphic, et cetera, to help kind of bridge the gap and help connect people in an equitable and inclusive way. Uh, so a lot of my work is really a- around creative problem solving, uh, but always keeping empathy at the center of the work that we do. I love that. The, the you know, using the language of empathy, um, it reminds me of a very common study, which is human centered design. Is it similar to that? Yes, yes. So human-centered design and design thinking are very, very closely related. And um, and I think for me, uh, yes, the concepts, both of them really uh, kind of utilize the, the concepts of empathy to drive innovation, to drive sustainability, to drive impact, but then also use this framework of iteration. Um, so this idea of when you try something, uh, whether it's creating a product or a program or an organization or something, and you get feedback, uh, you actually, you know, listen to that feedback and change it based off of that uh, to best meet the needs of your customers, clients, users, et cetera. Um, so I think, yes, human-centered design, design thinking are very closely related. And so, yes, both of them are sort of in my toolkit and I value them very, very much. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things I love about you is your work is so interesting. It's not every day that you meet someone who works on toilets and is considered a a toilet innovator. So, um, I, you know, I know when you were in school, you founded an organization called Wishwash and that kind of got you into this work. So can you tell me more about like, what inspires you to feel passion for toilets and like, and start a company that really, or an organization that really supports that work? Yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, kind of very similarly to, to how we started um, my journey in the toilet space is really, again, rooted in this concept of equity and inclusion uh, and driving innovation around that. Uh, So when I was a freshman beginning at Georgia Tech in my product design studies, I attended the Georgia Tech Women's Leadership Conference where I learned about the enormity of the global sanitation crisis, um, how, you know, over 4 billion people lack access to safely managed sanitation and how in particular this disproportionately impacts the livelihoods and career advancements of women and girls and other marginalized groups around the world. Um, And again, like starting my product design career, I was like, okay, you know, this makes sense. Like I'm going to design toilets. Um, You know, granted, I was 18. I called my parents and I said, you know what, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to design toilets, Uh, which if you can imagine, uh, it was a very, very unique thing for them to hear. (laughs) um, Yeah, they're very, very supportive. And uh, the journey has been kind of blossomed way beyond strictly just physical toilets. Um, just because, again, if you think about sanitation and how it affects, you know, the health of our day-to-day um, society, if it, you think about, uh, yeah, just wellness in general, if you think about uh, economic viability, all of it has to do with health and hygiene. Um, and I think COVID has underscored that more than ever. Um, but yeah, that was the beginning of the journey for me at the Georgia Tech Women's Leadership Conference. A few months later, I was on stage at the Georgia Tech Inventure Prize competition, uh, which is the largest undergraduate invention competition in the United States with three other uh, designer and uh, engineers from women from Georgia Tech. Uh, we were pitching this toilet concept called the Safi Chew, uh, and we won. Uh, we won first place in People's Choice, and that funding enabled us to go into our first pilot where we were able to actually Uh, kind of live our values of human-centered design, put our concept in front of real users, South Sudanese and Somali refugees, working with, you know, female translators, female-headed households to really kind of have this through line of gender equity as it relates to innovative toilet innovation um, in communities that don't have access to toilets. And from there, we've become an organization that now has a for-profit and non-profit arm. Again, all very rooted in human-centered design, uh, toilet Toilets are our sweet spot, but we have expanded beyond that as well because, you know, water and hygiene are closely related. But uh, yeah, that's a little bit about our beginnings. Awesome. So um, it's interesting. uh, Since our first recording, I read this article that came out in June uh, by NPR and it was called, uh, if I could find it, it was called uh, Half the World Lacks Proper Sanitation. Is it possible to transform the toilet? And I thought of you when I read this article and um, in the article, it starts out by saying the United Nations estimates that 4.2 billion people, so more than half of the world's population, live without any access to safely managed sanitation. That's crazy to me. I mean, right. it's 2021, right? Yes. Yeah. No, it's it's mind-blowing to think about the fact that, you know, we have so many technological advancements. You know, we have all these, you know, things that are making our world technologically savvy and connected, but... Uh, people still don't have toilets, which is a basic human, you know, human right, human need, um, and why 
can't we help fill that gap? I think that's a big question. That's a driving force in a lot of the water sanitation hygiene spaces. You know, what is what will it take to not only create the products, but then create the ecosystem so those, those supply chains will last, those, you know, product innovations will, will not just be broken down so those communities can self-sustain them and some of these bigger questions around systemic issues. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is mind-blowing to think that, you know, in 2021, people still don't have toilets. Yeah, yeah. So what are they doing when they don't have toilets? Tell me what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So like there? <laughs> there's a, there's, yeah, there's a number of things. I mean, if, you know, one of our favorite things to say at Wish for Wash is uh, everybody poops. Uh, that is statistically 100% of all people poop. Um, so this is something that we hold true in all of our work, um, no matter how disgusting or how uncomfortable it is. This is a universal phenomenon. Uh, and even if you don't have access to the safe or hygienic infrastructure, you've got to go somewhere, right? And so a lot of times that will result in what's called open defecation. So going to the bathroom outside, which is tends to be in full view of other people, uh, which leads to both you know mental and physical health problems. There are some things called flying toilets, um, you know, like Kroger, think like a Kroger bag or Publix bag or shopping bag. People go to the bathroom in those and sort of throw them into a, you know, a water body or on top of their roofs. Um, there's a bunch of case studies talking about roofs actually of houses kind of collapsing because of all these um, poop bags on top of them, um, so it's, it, oh which is gosh. crazy. It's crazy. Uh, and so it's this concept. If you, if you think about it, when you ask people like, what is a toilet, which we like to do this exercise, like what is a toilet? Um, it is, you know, a way to go to the bathroom. Right. But it also is this concept of getting poop away from people, whatever that looks like, whether that is going into a body of water, whether that's going in, you know, a hole and burying it, whether that's throwing it in a bag or whether that's using a flushing toilet that we're used to in a lot of our context here today. Um, so that is sort of the, the kind of nexus of a lot of this innovation is how do we effectively and safely get, you know, poop away from people in a way that, you know, makes sense for them culturally. And so, yeah, there's a number of very creative, um, not necessarily the most healthy solutions, but uh, yeah, when you got to go, you got to go. And so people have to figure out a way to manage that when they don't have toilets. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell us about some of the innovations that you are working on. I mean, you're not just working at Wishwash, you are also on the Toilet Board Coalition. So like you're steeped in this every day. So what are some of the interesting things that you see coming out to solve this problem? Yeah. So a lot of exciting things are happening um, in, in this space. Uh, so at, at Wish for Wash, we are really focused on this concept of, you know, modularity. How do we create a toilet system that works for different people, you know, where they are, right? So creating a system that could be a sit toilet, that could also be a squat toilet, that could also work as an off-grid compost toilet, or that could also be connected to a sewer line, all within the same sort of uh, series of parts, rather than having to invest in a whole new system for each type of use case or each type of waste management system. Um, so that's sort of where, like, our, our focus it has been on in terms of product development for Wish for Wash over the past couple of years. We're still very much in, in pilot and um, are hoping to get to an, a larger uh, larger production run kind of in, in the next few months. We'll sort of see how, how COVID and things pan out, but uh, that's sort of where we're headed. But there's a number of really exciting things that we've seen um, across the world um, as it relates to things uh, called the circular sanitation economy. So turning waste into a renewable resource, uh, whether that's you know, compost or biogas to turn on a light bulb in a house or a complex, uh, biogas. There's a number of different 
things that, um, you know, waste could be transformed into that is a productive use case uh, in society. And it's really cool to see people building sanitation infrastructure around this, because if you think about it as population size increases, the only thing that is going to increase, you know, with it is the waste that we produce. And we have to create systems that will turn waste into something productive. Uh, So we're seeing a number of use cases around that in uh, sub-Saharan Africa and India. Um, Another really kind of exciting opportunity that we've been looking at at the Toilet Board Coalition is uh, the smart sanitation economy, which is this idea of how do we use things like biosensors and technology to use to put that into, you know, waste and sanitation infrastructure as a preventative health mechanism at an individual level or at, at an aggregate level. Uh, so there's a number of people, uh, I know some incredible, uh, an organization called BioBot based in uh, Massachusetts is doing some really incredible wastewater management um, in, in the Boston area and actually in the U.S. Uh, right now, uh, kind of using this technology or using technologies to I kind of determine the levels of COVID in each community based off of sensors and uh, wastewater robots. Uh, And kind of what that implies is what if we could have these preventative indicators at a larger scale before things like a pandemic or a public health uh, crisis happens. Uh, So there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's happening that's sort of bigger, bigger than just getting poop away from people. It's like, what can we do with the waste that's also adding value to society and its people? Um, so yeah, lots of really cool stuff is happening uh, in the U.S. and around the world when we're talking about sanitation. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. I love looking at innovations for you know uh, problems like this. Um, so one of the things you mentioned earlier that I want to go back to you is like connecting this kind of through line between sanitation and um, proper access to you know waste management systems. Um, with empowering women and girls. So can you talk about like how you connect those two? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know, as, as we think about sanitation um, and a lot of the burden as it relates to, uh, you know, cleaning sanitation infrastructure, managing um, sanitation infrastructure at a household level or at, you know, an institutional level, oftentimes in communities, it does fall on, you know, the, the shoulders of women. Um, and when we're talking about uh, things like diaper changing, we're talking about things like fecal uh, transmission with, with young infants, that also is a, a burden that falls on, on women's shoulders as well. Um, and I think, you know, when we're also looking at, at, at young girls, and this was sort of something that I learned um, early on in my career is, um, you know, a lot of girls around the world, both in the U.S. and globally, are dropping out of school when they reach puberty because their schools don't have toilets. Right. So this idea that, you know, they can't properly manage their menstruation in a way that's safe and dignified for them uh, because of of this basic human need not being met in their school facilities, which is just so crazy to think about that a toilet is a barrier or the lack of a toilet is a barrier for a lot of these girls from advancing in their career and their educational attainment. Um, And so this through line, again, is sort of kind of recognizing that there is a gender inequity when we're talking about the burden of health outcomes, educational outcomes, economic prosperity, as it relates to health and hygiene, when we're talking about women and other marginalized groups. Um, so I think that uh, that's something that's been top of mind for us since the beginning, uh, trying to be inclusive and amplify the voices of, of a lot of these women in their you know varying communities. Because again, coming in and making sure that we're recognizing that different different people come from different cultures and different worldviews. And our, our goal as a human-centered design organization is to meet them where they are rather than sort of coming in and saying, 
you know, this is, this is the right way you should be using a toilet, or this is the right practice that you should be having. Uh, it's really about understanding, okay, this is what you believe to be true. This is your understanding. And how can we create a solution that best meets your needs while also, you know, creating a healthy environment for you and your community. Um, and I think that does, again, you know, sanitation at large closely ties back with menstruation, menstrual health, equity, period, poverty, and all of these things. Um, because, you know, like I mentioned, girls are dropping out of school because they don't have toilets, but then also you have to have the, the materials and the infrastructure in place uh, for, for the girls to actually manage their periods. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that's a new direction that Wish for Wash has actually been taking on and we're really excited to be diving into this world. Um, a project that I had the honor of, of co-founding over the pandemic in uh, 2020 was called Period Futures. Um, and it's kind of been founded with this idea of kind of thinking about how can we emerge from this time in a way that's inclusive, generative, and sustainable for people who have periods around the world. Um, and this initiative has since been housed under Wish for Wash, and we're really excited to sort of amplify some of our educational work around the future of, you know, period, period education, period product design, period um, in innovation as it relates to sanitation infrastructure, um, because they're all connected. Yeah. Um, I, so one of the things that I love about your work is, well, I don't know that I felt this way until I interviewed you the first time, but I started to realize how interesting I, I mean, I really do find like, I kind of feel like maybe in another life, I'm going to be a toilet board, you know, innovator myself. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's because I like, I use the restroom a lot. Like I have a tiny little bladder and I'm constantly going to public restrooms and I'm always thinking about, you know, well, that one had that better experience and that one, you know, that one felt safe or, you know, it was really clean and, and, you know, in the United States have access to a lot of, you know, nice bathrooms. Um, and a lot of innovative bathrooms, like when, where I live in Portland, they, um, they have this one downtown. That's like this really cool. I, you might even know about it. It's like, it's, I don't know. It's like its own little system that people can use. And I think, um, the homeless actually like use it a lot. Um, I, I don't even know if you're familiar with this, this toilet in Portland yes. that they have. You yeah. are? Oh, you are? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool sanitation work that's happening in Portland. Um, and yeah, I think really inspiring too, because like you said, public bathrooms and having access to public bathrooms for all people, you know, including people who are experiencing homelessness is so imperative. So yeah, I've been closely following a lot of the great work that's happening in, in Portland. That's both aspirational in terms of design, but then also in terms of inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know a lot of what you're working on might be not as like technologically advanced, you know, like, like you go to Japan and the toilets are just, there's so many buttons oh, yeah. and controls or yeah, you no know, China. Toilets are the best. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, Whoa, there's somewhere on this than my computer. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know how to operate this. Um, but where, you know, you're, are you operating mostly, or, or are you mostly concerned with like kind of the global South and developing countries? Is that where you're generally focused? Yeah. So um, that's a great question. So we definitely started off with very much of a global, uh, global lens. And I, I would say that that's still a priority of ours. And particularly when we say global, we, we started and we did pilots in Kenya, Zambia, um, Ethiopia, and Uganda um, in our first initial years. But I think um, it, you know, in addition to a lot of the constraints that we've seen with COVID, we've also seen a lot of opportunities 
um, to, to innovate and move the needle in the U.S. as well, um, particularly around, you know, underrepresented communities here. Um, so we're actually kind of pivoting some of our, our focus to, to look at rural America. There's a big need for improved septic systems in the, in the U.S. in rural America, specifically like failing, collapsing septic systems leads to hookworm outbreaks, which is so crazy to think about like that that happens still, um, that there's hookworm outbreaks in the U.S. because of the lack of infrastructure. Um, and then also, like you said, like, you know, communities experiencing homelessness, like there's been a bunch of research com- uh, com- that have come out over the past few years looking at cities like San Francisco, you know, Atlanta, where there's big populations of, of, you know, homeless people and they're going to the bathroom in the streets. And so what are some opportunities to innovate around that? Um, so I would say, yes, our, our uh, focus is still very much global, um, but we want to also have an inclusive lens that is touching, you know, in our own backyard. And I think, again, the, the, this COVID epidemic has really showcased the opportunity of how if we innovate and create solutions here, there's an opportunity for them to proliferate um, in a sustainable, meaningful way as well. Yeah. Speaking of COVID, have you, I mean, has that pushed any innovations that wouldn't have otherwise kind of moved along um, because of the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. So there's been a really big, you know, there's been ups and downs. I feel like with, as with, you know, a lot of, a lot of the world and organizations um, in terms of product development, a lot of our manufacturing has significantly slowed down. And so we're still, you know, figuring out kind of next steps, what that will actually look like in terms of product manufacturing um, moving forward. Um, we're hopeful that we'll be able to kind of pick that back up in the in the coming months. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, a lot of our kind of research and uh, education work has really, really picked up steam. And particularly as it relates to public bathrooms and uh, menstrual health, period poverty and uh, menstrual health innovation at large um, has really just had a, a massive inflow of interest uh, from, from schools and educators, uh, Girl Scout troops, International Rescue Committee. So we have a bunch of you know, various stakeholders around around the U.S. that are interested in sort of creating opportunities for uh, people to to learn about these in, in more of an academic research way, but then also in like an experiential uh, kind of advocacy educational way. Uh, and so at Wish for Wash, we've created these uh, these workshops, these series of workshops that we call design jams, using the design thinking, human centered, problem solving mindset. Uh, to rapidly go through this this process of empathizing with people that have different experiences and worldviews than you and innovating and coming up with potential solutions. And all of our workshop offerings relate to water sanitation uh, and or menstrual health. Uh, and it's been really cool to see, you know, young middle schoolers uh, of all genders, of all, you know, backgrounds coming together, talking about, you know, the future of periods in a way that's not weird or not taboo. And uh, kind of being excited about building a prototype around period, you know, about periods. And I think that's something that I've never seen before. And just seeing, you know, uh, educators and parents being open to this as well has been really powerful as well. Uh, so yes, I would say that, you know, we've seen this big inflow of interest in terms of health and hygiene, you know, educational content and the interest around building more infrastructure around that as an organization. Uh, but then we're also still navigating what it means to be a product facing company as well. Uh, And so we're hopeful that we'll be able to kind of make some strides on that in the coming months. Amazing. Well, I just love all the work that you're doing. I think it's so fascinating. If people want to connect with you and learn more about um, your work at the Toilet Board Coalition and Wish Wish for Wash, where can they go? Yeah. So um, I 
and wish for wash can be found at wishforwash.org. Uh, all of our work is there. Uh, our period futures work is at periodfutures.org. Uh, again, a lot of provocations um, and educational content can be found in that arena. Uh, toilet Board Coalition uh, is the toiletboard.org. And I will say too, um, they're doing a number of really incredible things um, at the Toilet Board. I've actually in the past month or so, and I know this is recent news, um, I've recently rolled off my contract with them. Uh, and I'm actually focusing on an MBA uh, to focus on the future of scaling some of these like sanitation and menstrual health innovations. So um, maybe that's something that will, you know, in our next conversation, we'll be able to talk about the future of, you know, sustainable financing as it relates to these things that I can hopefully yeah. bring to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. Wait a minute. I want to, I want to like, I, we got a little extra time. I want to hear about this. So you're what, what MBA talks about scaling for like toilet innovation or is it that specific? Oh <laughs> uh, yes. It's actually, okay. So the, my, my MBA program, I'm, I'm studying at Emory, uh, which is uh, very health focused, you know, as, as a university, as a healthcare system. Um, and so that's been really awesome to sort of have that network of, of support. That's really kind of health, you know, health-based uh, as I'm pursuing a business education. Um, so I will say with that backing, there isn't really a program focused on, on business uh, as it relates to toilets and menstrual health, but I am sort of been empowered and enabled to make that happen um, through, through my program at, uh, at Emory. Uh, so I am getting an MBA, but because of my interest and focus, I've been able to, you know, do some joint work at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory uh, to do some social impact uh, as well as impact investing related projects and, and, and work that then hopefully we'll be able to com combine with my interest with sanitation and menstrual health to talk about the future of scaling these ventures. Amazing. For those who aren't familiar with impact investing, can you, can you break that down for us? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very, I will be honest, I'm very early in my, my learning, uh, my learning journey of impact investing as well. Uh, but the, the basis of it is really that it acts like traditional investing where uh, there is an, you know, X amount of money that's given to a founder or to an organization uh, to, you know, scale up a project or a product uh, with the expected return, uh, you know, with typical interest rate. Uh, but in addition to having the return on the investment in terms of monetary value, there's the expected return on the social value. So there's an understanding that, you know, in the social impact space, your return is likely going to be slower um, in terms of the, the monetary, you know, comeback, particularly if you're working with marginalized or resource constrained communities. Uh, but there is that factored in component, that value of how are you driving impact towards this, you know, SDGs to the sustainable development goals. Um, and how is that adding value to society at large, um, in addition to, you know, giving them the return on the monetary investment. So it's basically giving you a, or people that move in the impact space an opportunity to get larger, you know, amounts of funding, uh, but then also to have their valuation, their value as an organization be captured in the, the value that they create for society. That's not always captured in the monetary comeback, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So cool. I'm really looking forward to following you and, and seeing what you do next. You know, you're, you're a very interesting person. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I'm so excited to, to have had the chance to chat with you. And um, again, yeah, Wish for Wash is online, uh, wishforwash.org and Period Futures. Uh, we're on all the social medias as well. Um, yeah, and I'm really excited to, um, you know, see what the future of both the, the wash sector and the menstrual health spaces kind of as we continue to emerge from this time, what they'll look like, because it seems like the future, um, as much as it's uncertain, there is opportunities for it to be very bright. So I'm very excited about that. 
The Days for Girls podcast is produced by Days for Girls International. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit daysforgirls.org forward slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the show, leave a rating or a review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, and share episodes on social media or with your friends. To learn more about Days for Girls and to join our global movement, please visit daysforgirls.org. Thank you for listening. See you next time.